0: Seeing you, and some faces I hadn't seen in a long time. It's wonderful to see you back here and worship again. Uh, Just one announcement, really, for the uh, the ladies. Uh, There is a conference coming up in just a a month here at the sanctuary, but also you can see it uh, from your homes as well. And you'll find information all about that. There's some in the bulletin, but just check by in the narthex on your way out and uh, get a a flyer more information about that as well. Uh, This morning we will be observing the the Lord's Supper. I encourage you to be preparing your hearts uh, to receive the sacrament. Let's prepare our hearts now for worship.
1: to worship this morning continues with the theme of God's amazing grace hear God's word but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace to help in our time of need let's pray together father thank you for your amazing grace God's riches at Christ's expense. Your unmerited favor shown towards us, undeserved, before the beginning of time. Father, thank you that you have, in your grace, your sovereign grace, you've chosen us and brought us to yourself from death to life and continue with your grace, giving us grace in our sanctification as we grow. We're here this morning to bring worship to you, to the worth and value that you have. We lift you up, Father. Pray that you will be honored and glorified today. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll continue uh, singing. Let's stand, stand together and sing. This is the first two verses of Christ Alone.
2: In Christ Alone.
1: Catechism, questions one and two. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in the joy of this comfort. Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance.
0: Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, we do give you praise that you are the one who dwells in heaven. You are God the Father seated upon your throne. You are God the Son there at the right hand of the Father. You are God the Holy Spirit there before the throne. You are God three in one and we exalt you and praise you. How wondrous and how mysterious you are. And it is our desire that we will hallow and we will honor your name this morning. We pray for that work of your spirit in us to to sanctify us, to anoint us, so that we would be those who lift up prayers, who lift up our voices to you uh, with words that come from our minds and from our hearts that are pleasing to you, that honor the name of Jesus Christ who has shed his blood for us. How wondrous it is to think that we may come because of that shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has brought the kingdom and we pray for his return when he will consummate your kingdom. We pray that meanwhile that we will be found faithful in service to your kingdom here upon this earth, that we will do your will on earth as it is done in heaven by your angels. Our Father, we... Uh, pray that you would provide for us our daily bread. We look to you to feed us this morning with the the bread of your word and with the bread of the sacrament that we might be lifted, strengthened, nourished in our faith, that our uh, hope will always be founded upon Jesus Christ alone. We pray, our Father, for you to provide for what we need here upon uh, for our physical bodies, the provisions of food, medical care, the needs we have for family and friends, for, for love. We pray for your provisions for our country to provide all that is needed that this country uh, might be prosperous. We pray uh, that you would Raise up men and women in office. We think of the elections soon to be taking place. That your will to be done, for you to again raise up those uh, who will honor you and honor uh, your your laws. We pray, our Father, uh, that you forgive us uh, of our debts, which are many. We have not loved you as we ought. Not loved you with all of our strength and our mind. We have worshipped other idols and we confess this before you. We have broken your laws. We have broken uh, your law to love our neighbor as ourselves. And oftentimes that we have held resentment, grudges. We have been offended over small, minor matters. May we have the merciful heart of our Father and be as those who easily forgive and who have a love that cover over Uh, the offenses of others. We pray, our Father, that we not be led into temptation, but that you deliver us from the evil one, whoever seeks our harm. Deliver us from the temptations of this world that would lure us away from your kingdom. Protect us from our own weak flesh by which we so easily give way uh, to unrighteous desires. We... Make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen. If you turn with me uh, this morning to Hebrews chapter 9 as we continue along in the book. We'll be looking at verses 22 to 28. You also have an insert in your bulletin that contains the passage as well. So Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 22 to 28. Well, God is holy and we are not. We've talked about this that this is man's dilemma, that the solution is found only in Jesus Christ who has made atonement for us. By atonement is meant that he made reparation for our offenses. He did this in two ways that we've talked about already through redemption, by which He paid uh, the ransom fee by his blood that released us from slavery to sin. He made reparation through purification by which he cleansed our stains, our guilty stains by his blood. So we are redeemed. We are cleansed, as we noted last Sunday, by the precious blood of, of the Lamb. So there is still one more term for us to explore under this whole concept of atonement. And when we grasp the full implications of this term, it's going to to give to us an understanding of the full significance of what our Lord has done for us on the cross. So look with me, first of all, in verses 23 and 24. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things To be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now, our author has already discussed everything that he has said in these two verses. The earthly tabernacle, which then became the earthly temple, are but copies of the very real temple that is in heaven. And the sacrifices that were performed by the priest, and particularly the high priest, foreshadow the very real sacrifice of Christ, who is our high priest. So, with the blood of his sacrifice, Remember, we talked about how he ascended, he has entered into that temple, into the most holy place, into the throne room of God, and there he has made atonement for our sins. All right, let's continue, 25 and 26. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now again, our authors already taught this lesson. Christ's sacrifice is superior to all of those of the, of the earthly priests because it is sufficient once and for all, to secure eternal redemption for his people. Okay, that brings us now to 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's here now that he starts to introduce new ideas for us. First of all, that there's a destiny for every human being, and that is death and judgment. The judgment that he's referring to is the judgment of the judgment day. All human beings who have died will be resurrected, it's not just just those who are saved everyone will be resurrected and then will face judgment it is a day that should make all mankind tremble with fear thinking of how god will then pronounce judgment against sinners now christ the second thought here is will come on that day and he will come though in a different manner and purpose first time he came in humility and he came and he was a sacrifice but he will not come in that way again. What he will do though is he will save us in the sense that he will deliver us from the judgment of God and that's why we can eagerly wait for him. So let's think about this for a moment. There, we've spoken of the salvation of redemption when Jesus paid for us with his blood. We've spoken of the salvation of purification, when Jesus cleansed us from our stains with his blood. And here now is the salvation of deliverance, still to come when the future final judgment takes place. All right, we're about now to get to this fourth term. And I want to set it up first of all. All right, we know that our sins imprisoned us. That's why Christ paid with his blood a ransom to set us free from that prison. We know that our sins stained us as unholy. And so Christ washed us with his blood. But here now is really the great trouble that our sins have caused for us. They have placed us under the just wrath Of God, you see, that's what the day of judgment is about. God will judge all sin, all iniquity, all transgressions against His holy character. He will do that because that is what the what justice of a righteous God demands. We're told in Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and falls short of the glory of God, and sin, which by definition is an unjust act, must be punished. It's not about God just being in an angry mood. It is about God being righteous, God being just. and Therefore, sin must receive its due punishment. Now, let's think further about this. Again, who is it that does the punishing? Well, it is God. It is God who is offended. It is God alone who is the judge of all the earth. So if all we had in our minds was the concept of redemption, well, we could uh, understand salvation as being saved from something bad, being saved from sin, from death, being saved from Satan. It's the same way with purification. We... We think in terms of we're being cleansed from something bad, from uh, sin. But when judgment is brought into play, it is not what is bad that we must fear, but what is good. We are in a position of like wicked criminals who fear the enforcement of justice against them. Likewise, we are transgressors of the law. And we must fear the enforcement of justice against ourselves. So the bottom line is this. Our sins have made us guilty. We are unjust sinners. And for justice to be rendered, we must bear our just punishment. That is what awaits us on Judgment Day. Here now is where our fourth term finally comes in. It is the term substitution. We stand guilty before God, ready for that punishment of death to fall upon us, and Jesus takes our place. He becomes our substitute and takes on our punishment. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So Jesus saved us from the just wrath of God by receiving that wrath on himself. Go to the cross where Jesus is is hanging. And you remember there's darkness has come over the land. And in there that is chilling, crying out by Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, that was to have been our cry on Judgment Day. But instead, Judgment Day fell on our Lord. Now, the term for this, this turning away the, the just wrath of God is called, I'm going to give you one long term here, propitiation. Our authors already used that term. He used it back in chapter 2, verse 17. Let me read it to you. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It means to satisfy uh, the, the, the judgment that was needed, to turn it away. So substitution then refers to Jesus taking our place, to receive our punishment. And yet there is more involved in this understanding. And you'll see it in verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Before Jesus, as our substitute, bears our punishment, he must first bear our sins. We go back to Isaiah 53. This is verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it concludes in verse 12, Yet he bore the sin of many. Let's let this sink in. Now there are many who have given their lives for others. That's what soldiers do in battle. They go out and they... They fight on the behalf of others. Well, when Jesus gave his life for us, it entailed more than that of a warrior giving his life in fighting for us. It, it involves that then. But it's more. He did not merely bear our punishment. He bore our guilt that deserved that punishment. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 24. He himself for our sins in his body on the tree. We talked before about the day of atonement. I want to go back to that idea because it illustrates well this concept of substitution. There were two goats used that day by the high priest to make atonement for the sins of the people. There was the goat that he sacrificed whose blood he then took into the most holy place and he dashed it against the Ark of the Covenant and on the mercy seat. And what that was illustrating or representing was the redemption of paying for the sins of the people and, for that matter, for purification, of cleansing away the stains of those sins. But it's the other goat that illustrates the idea of substitution. And I want to read the passage to you. It's from Leviticus 16, 21 and 22. And Aaron, Aaron who was the first high priest, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Let's note here what Aaron, and then all other succeeding high priests would have done later, what Aaron does places his hands on the goat's head. What is he doing? He is symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto the head of the goat. The goat becomes their substitute. The goat bears their sins. What happens next? Well, that goat is sent out into the wilderness with those sins. It is now a guilty creature, and it is cut off from the people. It is now an unclean creature, and it has to be sent outside the camp. This is its punishment, to be cut off from God, cut off from his covenant. Again, Isaiah 53, this time verse 8, speaks of this. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And so the goat, as it becomes a substitute, receives that punishment. And we see that what happens to him. But there's another concept also being demonstrated, and that is that of the sins of the people being removed. The people remain in the camp. They are kept safe. They still belong to God's covenant. Their sins, their guilt are gone. The punishment that ought to have fallen upon them was transferred to this goat. And then that goat is sent out of sight. So he serves the purpose of demonstrating what that first goat accomplished, uh, that of of the wrath of God being propitiated or being satisfied against the the sins of the people, but also then that visual illustration of what happens to those sins. They're removed. They are taken away. Theologians refer to this as expiation. The sins and the guilt were sent out of and away from the people. So you have that big term of propitiation in which God's wrath is satisfied as we sang about this morning. Justice is served. And then expiation in which we see that our sins are taken out of sight. So let's sum up here what we've been learning for the last two Sundays about atonement. Atonement is making reparation for offenses against our holy God. This is done through redemption, by which Christ paid the ransom price with his own blood to bring us out of slavery. It was done by purification, in which Christ's blood was used to cleanse uh, the offenders of their stains. So, you have both, remember, both redemption and purification are made by the shedding of that same blood. And then we just talked about substitution. The sacrifice not only takes on our punishment, but takes on our very sin and guilt. And our our sins are transferred to that sacrifice who then takes the punishment and our sins are then removed and we are declared innocent. Do you see now what substitution adds to our understanding of Jesus' work on the cross? You know, one can, one can redeem another person without having to bear the guilt of that person. One can purify the stains of another without actually getting stains on uh, himself. But to become the substitute of a guilty person is to take on their guilt and the consequences that go with it. And so we're to understand that the glory of the cross lies not merely in that of Christ dying on that cross, but of Christ bearing our sins on that cross. And so we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake." He made, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Now, I want us to be careful here. Sometimes I I will hear someone speak of Christ, that what happened to him on the cross, that he became a sinner on that cross. I guess the, the logic is that if he takes on our sin, doesn't that make him a sinner? Well, no, it makes him a sin bearer. We can understand this idea. Let's say you let's say you gamble and you incur a large debt. But fortunately you have a brother who's not so foolish. He does not gamble. He saves his money. And because he's your brother, he agrees to take on your debt. And he will then make payment for it. And we can say that he he bore your debt, but no one considers him to be a reckless debtor himself. It's not in the same category as you. And so it is. He's a sin bearer, but he is not a sinner. And what we're to understand is this. or What scripture is trying to teach us here is that Christ bore all the sins. He did not bear our sins partially. He took on the uh, the majority of them. No. He took on all of those sins, and once he took on our full debt, once he took on himself our sins, he then made the payment for all of that debt. Think of it in terms of a ledger book. And God's ledger book is a record with your name on it showing the debts that you have accumulated. And each debt is recorded. And the balance shows an ever-increasing figure. But then you see on the date of the, uh, of the record, on the date of the, that the cross takes place, that a transaction is, was recorded. And it shows that that debt was transferred to Jesus Christ and your balance shows zero. The debt is now his. But but wait, you, you see that another transaction is recorded on that same date. And there it shows that Jesus Christ paid the full balance. So that neither you nor he holds a balance of debt. It has all been redeemed. It has all been fully paid for. Let's go back to Isaiah 53 again, verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What we're being taught here is that the offering for guilt That's the sacrifice that Jesus made for our redemption. We, we are his offspring. His days are prolonged now, which are eternal. He is made prosperous because he has carried out the Lord's will of making that sacrifice. So, the point here is that not only do we find our balance and Jesus' balance clear, you know, we don't just see zeros there. But we are shown another ledger, another book is given to us. And on the cover is that the estate of Jesus Christ. And we open it up and it shows the accumulation of infinite riches. We find that far from making Jesus poor, his sacrifice resulted in enormous and great rewards. So the cross, what we're going to understand is this. As central as it is to the gospel story, it is not the final word for Jesus. That's why we do not have someone hanging on the cross to look at. There is resurrection. There is ascension. There is his reign. Even now he is reigning. There is his return still to come that we were reminded of back in verse 28, in which he will come not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's go back to his ledger and let's see how prosperous he is. And if you look carefully, what you will see is your name in there. You are one of his rewards. He did not pay for you so that you would just kind of just go off on your own into the wilderness. When he paid for your redemption, he paid to make you his. He owned you. We belong to him. Listen to the praise that is given to him in heaven. This is Revelation 5, 9 and 10. For you were slain, And by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so we are to remember. Remember who redeemed you. You are to remember who has has cleansed you, who, who has taken your sin and bore your punishment. Remember that sacrifice on the cross. But also remember, remember who was exalted for what he did for you on that cross, who has been more than compensated for what he has paid. You see, that's why it's not not only not necessary, but it's actually silly for us ever to think of repaying him. We can never pay what is equal to his blood, much less repay. The enormous debt that we owe. But what we can do is to heed our calling together. That's the reason for which He has atoned us. He has atoned us to be a kingdom of priests, He has uh, atoned us to become a holy nation and priests who are appointing our neighbors who are still on this earth to appoint them to our King. Praise and to serve. Those are not acts of repayment. Those are the rewards that our King has given to us because we belong to him, our King, who once was our substitute. We give you praise our God for our King, our Lord Jesus Christ, for the great sacrifice of atonement made for us. We thank you that at a sacrifice atonement has resulted in great reward, great reward for us, our salvation, but also great reward for him to have us into his kingdom. We thank you and praise you. In his name we pray, amen. For the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read the words of institution as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This sacrament of the Lord's table that was given to us by our Lord given to us to remind us of all that we have just spoken about, to remind us of the atonement that he has made for us, how he has bought us with his blood, how he has cleansed us with his blood, how he became our substitute, took our our guilt, and then took our punishment. This supper is also to remind us of the banquet that awaits us. There's a banquet which we will shed at the table of our Lord because he made that sacrifice. So it's not merely a time that we look back and we we think with sadness of what he has done and all the suffering uh, that he went through for us. It's to be reminded that our king is up in heaven right now. He is our high priest and our king interceding for us. And he will come back again and he will save us. He will deliver us from that fearful day of judgment. This is to remind us that he is always here with us, always here for us. And so it is for we who still stumble, still commit uh, our offenses, our sins, to remind us he still has us and we belong to him. Now, this is not for, for those who who call on the name of Jesus and yet refuse to forgive their debtors. We are to forgive those uh, who have committed offenses against us because this is a sacrament that symbolizes not only our union with Christ, but our union with one another in Jesus Christ. And yet if you're struggling, you're struggling with those kind of feelings, and you know that it's wrong, and you're seeking the help of the Lord, by all means, take this sacrament, for it is meant to strengthen your faith, uh, strengthen your ability to follow your Lord. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not confess him as your Lord, not look to him as your king, we well, know that someday we we pray that's our ardent prayer for you, so that someday you may participate in this meal together. And So let us receive the Sacrament. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat, this is my body given for you, the body of Christ. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, and having given it to his disciples, he said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all you of it—the blood of Christ." We give you. Praise our God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Give you praise for his incarnation by which he took upon himself our very flesh, and in that flesh made atonement for our sins upon the cross. We thank you that though he died and was buried, yet he rose again in that body, and that he has ascended on high into heaven, into the, the temple, into the most holy place, your throne room. And there he serves as our High Priest ever, interceding for us. And we look and give you thanks for the day that he will come again as our glorious King. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together the last two verses of In Christ Alone. dismiss you you'll start there at the back so if you just be patient up at the front and you'll need to put your mask on as you exit into the aisles now receive the blessing of the lord grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of god our god and father to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen.